I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 50 of Season 6 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capresque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me to finish off week 10 of this uh, season is Scott Myers, an associate professor of screenwriting at DePaul University. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Great to be here. Looking forward to talking about the, this, the ending of this scene, which is uh, one of the most important scenes in the movie. Oh, nothing ever. Nothing happens in this this, this minute. You know, it's, it's it's a boring minute. There's nothing here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Even though it uh, is the well, biggest thing since radio, but yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, All right. So minute fifty begins with. Uh, Sam explaining the catch and ends with George letting his emotions take over. All week we've been building up to, to, to this part of the, the movie. Uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting how much time they spend in this screenplay, keeping the two of these characters together in this room. You know, we had last week and this week. That's a, a significant chunk. There's probably nine or ten minutes of the two of them in in Mary's house. Yeah, and that speaks to the importance of the scene. That's right. I mean, you as a screenwriter know that. You you don't necessarily stay too long in the same place unless it's absolutely necessary and helpful to the way everything's uh, moving along. So uh, uh, apparently they felt that way. <laughs> nowadays, most scenes are no more than two pages long. Back in the day when this movie was made, when it was a little bit more tied to what they used to call a screenplay, like two words like a screen version of a play, you would have longer scenes um, because of more like plays. But even with that, this is a very long period of time that they're together in this confined environment. But again, it speaks to the importance of the moment. Correct. And so basically we the way we ended things yesterday was that uh, George and Mary are on a phone call with Sam Wainwright. And George uh, basically gave Sam a a better way to utilize his idea to possibly make even more money at this point the 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 two of them are listening to to sam's counter offer where he's he's now about to explain to them what it is that he really wants you know because he does have i guess you can sort of say ulterior motives for for calling them not just uh not just to uh pass the time and and tell his friends you know how how great time he's having in the uh the theater district in new york He, he wants to tell them something else. And he goes, uh, now listen, have you got any money? So this reminds me of like, you know, all those, uh, uh, you know, jokes with the African uh, princes and stuff like that. You know, you get all those, uh, those emails. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it sounds like a scam. Have you got any money? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it reminds me of uh, in, in Unbreakable. You know, where where uh, David Dunn, you know, played by Bruce Willis, is, is constantly saying, at what point are you going to say, uh, all I need now is just your credit card number? You know? <laughs> right. So that, that's pretty much what's, uh, what, what's going on here. You know, Sam, as the businessman, basically says, you know, okay, uh, have you got any money? Money? Yeah, well, a uh, little. Well, now listen. I want you to put every cent you've got into our stock. Do you hear? And George, I may have a job for you. That is unless you're still married to that broken down building and loan. <laughs> well, this is the biggest thing since radio, and I'm getting you in on the ground floor. Oh, Mary, Mary, uh, I'm here. Would you tell that guy I'm giving him the chance of a lifetime? Do you hear? The chance of a lifetime. So I'm actually going to stop talking about the dialogue at this point. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the second half of the, the dialogue a little bit later. First, let's go through this because, uh, as I'm sure Scott has been waiting months to talk about this, <laughs> you know, so I'm going I'm to, you know, uh, basically milk it, milk it a little more before you, before we get there. <laughs> well, so, it's interesting. He uses the word married. Unless you're still married to that broken down building alone. And of course, the whole conversation started off in the parlor where they're talking about marriage. Well, it makes sense for him to say that because, because, you know, George is is this, uh, you know, old, old, uh, old single guy, old bachelor. You know, again, he's, what is he, 24? (laughs) Yeah, let's see. If this is 1932 and he was born in 1907, so he's 25. Okay. So he's completely over the hill. So obviously it makes sense for, for Sam to say, but then again, Sam also himself is, is single at this point, but, but he's just, he's enjoying the, uh, the, 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 the bachelor life a little more as we saw earlier this week. Yeah. You know, yeah. George, George isn't necessarily is, enjoying it as to the same extent. And it's just in a way, you know, even though it's, uh, it's Sam making this offer, so it's different than just George going off on his own and seeing the world and building bridges and skyscrapers. It still is a significant opportunity that could potentially pull him out of Bedford Falls. And yet, in the moment, as we're going to see, that's not what happens. But he does have this option. There is a path out of Bedford Falls. Potentially, you know, I mean, there may even be a job for him. But do you think that that, that the reason that he doesn't jump on it right away is because, you know, he, I, I think he, he's as much as he wants adventure, he still likes what's familiar. Like all of us. I mean, everyone's that way. Yeah. You, you, you want to, you want to keep the comforts of, of, of the familiarity or of home or whatever it is. Well, and specifically in this scene, again, if you track the script, uh, you know, they keep talking about the proximity and he says lips are almost on her lips and this he's smelling her and whatnot that uh wherever that that desire for adventure uh, may be sitting wanting to send him away from bedford falls there's that need that's inside him uh and we got a touch of it earlier where he talked about well his concern for the well-being of the people of bedford falls that domesticity 
you're seeing it right here where he is being pulled toward her. He's being pulled toward that life of what he was saying that he didn't want, which is to be married. Right. And so uh, you're seeing that that dual, that conflict, that inner conflict that he's got going on here. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and also, I mean, the way that, that Sam disparages the building alone, you know, it means yeah. he, he doesn't believe it, it either. No. No, because he's good. Sam, in a way, it's like, you know, you make you look at it like Sam is kind of the uh, uh, the ghost of Christmas future version of of what, you know, George could have become if he'd gone off on his own. You know, Sam is a is not the I mean, he, in the end, he he does pay off. He does, you know, guarantee some money, you know, whatever. But he's he's not he's not the most. uh, uh you know, estimable guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of a scam artist. He's a schemer, you know? And so, uh, if George hadn't, fallen but he's a good friend Mary and he's a good friend, but he's a bit of a trickster too, you know, in his own way. So there's that, I guess, um, you know, it's just an interesting, I like, what I like about it is that he gives him the option that George has in this moment, an option to leave. Even if this may not be on the the basis of what he may have anticipated, you know, going off and seeing the world, but uh, it does give him a way to go that would not take him down the path he does choose, which is his need, which is what's emerging in this scene. So it's an right. interesting dynamic. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's it's great the way that they do that here. Um, I, I, I like the way that they do it because they're also showing us, the audience, George's possibilities, you know, the, yeah. the, his the, his, uh, his choices, you know, which path is he going to choose? Because, again, we know because we know what's going to happen in the movie, it make it's it, I guess, makes it difficult for us to make that decision for him since we know the what path he chooses and why that is great for him. So, you know, I, it. I, I always, I, I quite often wish when I'm watching a movie that I love, that I, that I'd be able to see it with fresh eyes once again. You know, just see it for the yeah. first time. Oh yeah. You know, and when you're watching yeah. it, then you would have the your your idea as to okay, maybe this is what he should do, or maybe this is what he should uh, what what he shouldn't do, or whatever it is. But because you know, when there's a movie that you're so familiar with, it, it's very difficult to to reach that. That, that point. I mean, I've, I've heard this story and I've told this story numerous times over the past few seasons. And, you know, it's, it's somewhat sad, but but it really hits the, this point. Um, I remember a few years ago seeing online uh, the story of a man who The Empire Strikes Back was his favorite movie of all time. And he has some sort of disease which uh, affects his short-term memory. So one of the things that his family does is every day they sit down and watch The Empire Strikes Back with him to see his reaction of how much he loves seeing it for the wow. very first time over and over. Oh my God, that's you know, amazing! Again, again, it's very it's a sad story, but it's the idea that you know that if someone gets so much pleasure from seeing something the first time, you know, most of us don't have that option. You know, you see it once and that's it. You know, now your 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 thoughts of it, I guess you could say, have been tainted, even though obviously as as this podcast and and similar podcasts have proved, 
you know, going more into depth of a movie isn't necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> so, but you know, but once, well, no, what you're doing with this, with what you're doing with this podcast and similar things is you're getting to see the movie in a new way. Yes, you're getting completely. to see it at a level of depth, so it opens your, you know, opens your eyes a little wider. Perhaps you, you you've seen it at a certain level of, uh, you know, optic uh, uh, range. But when you dig down into it, like what you do, you really begin to notice these nuances and subtleties that just uh, play throughout. And uh, it, so it is a way of kind of freshening the experience. Right. You know, I, I teach a, I teach undergraduate students as well as graduate students. And, you know, you mentioned movies like uh, Citizen Kane or Casablanca or It Happened One Night. And many of the students have not seen them. And at first I was always kind of like, wow, gee. But then I then I think I wish I could switch positions with them so I could see these things for the first time. I mean, but they the have question a, is, they have do they appreciate it? The question is if they appreciate it on the same level that you would hope that you would appreciate it watching it for the first time again. Well, I will say this. It happened one night, which I, I mentioned before, I did used to show when I taught this class, History of American Screenwriting. Mm-hmm. I watched the movie with them. I would watch the movie with them and watch their reaction and seen it for the first time. And they loved it. They just absolutely loved that movie. It, you know, so it was great to see them watch a movie from 1934, black and white, you know, that uh, they just complete double indemnity is another one. They just yeah. thought, oh, that's awesome. You know, mm-hmm. um, but um, well, because we're all movie geeks. Yeah, this month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Movies, movies are life, man. Movies are totally life. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, I mean, first of all, you know, he he mentions the fact that uh, put every cent you have in there. I don't know if that is sound financial advice. <laughs> Yeah. And he comes off like a scam artist, doesn't he? That's right. Any friend of mine, it doesn't matter how close they are, if they tell me put every cent you have in something, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, I mean, he is, I guess, you know, subtextually, you could say by using that language, he's saying go all in. Go all in. Oh, for sure. I know what he's he's saying, but I don't know if it's something that you really should should be paying attention to. (laughs) No, I'm just saying subtextually that what the message to George is, look, now it's the time, you know, the decision you're going to make, you're going to go all in, you know, so I suppose you could argue that there's a a little bit of subtext going on there for him in terms of his connection with Mary. Do do you think Sam is trying to to get Mary and, and George together? Or he doesn't carry no. the way. You know, it's, I, I'm talking about the subtext of it. No, I, you know, no, I understand that. I, I realize that. No, I realize yeah. you're talking about the subtext. So I'm just, yeah. it, you know, this is the general question. Does does Sam understand what's going on? And the obvious answer is no. Especially since, no. you know, on, on, you know, on the surface, it seems as if Sam was calling because he was interested in Mary. Even though via sub- well, subtleties, we've pointed out that that's not true. But but that's that's, that's true. That's what the, the the movie is trying to tell us up until that point. You know, with the right. with the way that her mother wants to make sure that that uh, you know she talks to him and she answers the phone and and uh, that she's around and all that stuff. So you know, it's to give us the impression that Sam is interested, even though. Yeah, that's 
that's so great that the choice that Capra makes where he does that cutaway to New York. Because if he doesn't do that, then you do think, well, wait a minute, Sam could still be interested in Mary. But you play it out up front where, oh, wait a minute, you know, maybe Sam is, you know, got some interest in Mary. And so you tease that, that dynamic tension uh, that, that George is feeling. But then we, with the dramatic irony, the audience gets to see him in New York. And we now know, oh, no, no, he's not interested in her romantically. He's got this other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I like the way that they do that. So, so again, he says to him, put every cent you've got in the stock. Do you know where the term cent comes from? Well, let's see. Centennial. So it probably has something to do with 100. That is correct. Mm-hmm. It means, cent means 100. It, or it comes from the Latin word centum which means uh, 100. The use of cent in a monetary unit means it's always going to be one one hundredth of whatever monetary unit it is that you're using. And the symbol for it is, uh, you know, a lowercase c. And they, yeah. they actually put a di- diagonal stroke or vertical line uh, through it, uh, making it uh, you know, look like the what, what we know a cent uh, symbol looks like. It's a C with a with a line through it. The nickname for the one cent coin is a penny, which is basically there. There was there's a British coin and unit that that is known as a penny. So they're just alluding to that. So that that's where that's where cent comes from. So it's just I, I just find it very interesting that. Uh, you know, you have the one cent piece, but no one calls it a cent. <laughs> only, only when you're you're talking about it in passing. Percent, like percent, that's probably right. tied to that word too. Well, right? percent is is from a hundred. Yeah, from a hundred. Yeah. You know, so you're, uh-huh. you know, seventy yeah. percent. It means seventy of one hundred. Of one hundred. There you go. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then I, I also love the fact that he says that this is going to be the biggest thing since radio. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's just very very interesting that that uh, he's very confident that what he has is going to be something that that's just going to knock it knock everything out of the park. Uh, when when do you think the the term radio? Was was the was uh, they, did they start using? When do you think they started using the term radio? Wow, um, you mean a reference to the actual? You know, I don't know. I have no idea. So it, it originally was known as uh, radio telegraph or uh, radio telegraphy. That was the original name of of it, and uh, in in 1904. Is when they started using the term uh, radio. Uh, I, again, it's just a shortened version of it. Be- beforehand, uh, they they used to call things wireless until they uh, decided to to change the. Obviously, radio has changed changed the world at the time <laughs> because of the way that you were able to 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 send you know voice recordings uh, over uh, sound waves over over the. You know, you, you no longer needed to to use lines the same way that, that they were using beforehand. 
uh, with the telegraph and stuff like that. Because then they, they were able to to create like transmitters and stuff like that, which would which would uh, I guess make things uh, what what we would call now a cellular or wireless. The way that they they did that. Well, uh, you know, I guess there's a point where you could say um, again, you know, on the text of it, Sam's excited about this this business proposition, plastics and. And he's talking about radio, and he's you know he's got this sort of grandiose notion, and that you, you'd think that that would appeal to George because George wants to do something big in his life, and so on the text of it, this would be something that could be enticing to George. You know, I may even have a job for you. So this goes back to the point, like they're presenting a path. Frankly, this is the first time that George has had a legitimate opportunity to leave Bedford Falls if this thing were to come through you know, like a job working for, for Sam's company. But subtextually, what the, the whole point of this, and it goes on is you, when you go to the next part of the dialogue, ground floors and put every cent, go all in. The subtext is like, jump, go, do. And the, the physical proximity, what's going on for Mary, the emotional subtext that's been playing out all underneath this is what he finally responds to. But I do like the idea that there is this kind of subtext going on with Sam's sides where he's saying, go, jump, do, you know, go all in. And eventually that's what George does. So, but George, Sam's not, you know, he, he's not kind of, all he's doing is he's making a sales pitch, you know, but he, he doesn't realize it emotionally, I think, that, that, that it is settling, speaking to George's inner need. Uh, so that would be a way to interpret this whole thing here that we were just talking about this this side from Sam. Yeah, most definitely. I mean the 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 great thing I like what what I really enjoy about it is the fact that they have you know we, we hear Sam over the phone saying all these things but we're watching the reactions of George and Mary as they're getting closer. I mean, yes. you know, we 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 see that that uh you know their their heads slowly get a little closer to one another. Uh I mentioned yesterday that you know even that today we can actually see a point where it looks as if george is smelling her hair taking in taking in her scent understanding that that you know that this is what he needs it goes back to what you're saying about the you know the needing and wanting it's not just that he wants it he needs it also and and that's a smart choice by capper he goes he does the one take cutting away to sam just to establish, A, he's living the, the pie life in, in New York. B, he's not really interested in, in uh, Mary as a romantic interest. And he doesn't cut away, again, everything else, because he wants to stay, Capra, wants to stay on George and Mary in that physicality of that moment. Right. So you can see the evolution of the feelings and the proximity and the smelling and the touching. His, her lips are almost on his lips. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's building that sense of uh, of uh, uh, emotionality mm-hmm. you know, that's going on here. Right. And then we can also see that the, they're not really paying attention anymore to what Sam's saying. You know, they're 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 paying more attention to one another than to what's being said. And and then at yeah. this point, uh, you know, as as I read before, Sam basically says that Mary needs to tell. George that that he's giving him the chance of a lifetime, and he even repeats it the chance of a lifetime. 
you know, and and as you've already pointed out, this chance of a life because at this point, then Mary says to George, and as you've pointed out, you know, this phrase, the chance of a lifetime, is referring not just to this business opportunity, but also to this uh, relationship opportunity. You know, he's in a very unique position. It's done just really well. Um, yes, absolutely. Chance of a lifetime. That's that's it builds toward this whole thing. Is <laughs> exactly that where he he does have a chance of a lifetime and it's in the moment the way when mary says it i mean they literally face to face nose to nose he says it's the chance chance of a lifetime actually in this in the scene description that says george can stand it no longer he drops the phone with a crash and then he grabs her so it's like it's built to this moment it's really an interesting reaction mm-hmm. that he has yeah Right, but uh, I'm sure you want to get into that. But uh, right. yeah, the chance of a lifetime, absolutely subtext. Right, he he snaps it. at that point where she says to him, "It's the chance of a lifetime," and he he grabs yes, her. That's the snapping point. That's right. He grabs her as as you said. He drops the phone, and then he goes, "Now you listen to me. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any ground floors," <laughs> which is very funny the way he says it. And I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're, you're, oh, Mary, George. And, you know, he, he's very forcefully shaking her. Yeah. You know, I, and maybe it goes back to what was she said earlier in the week, that he's violently making love to her or making violent love to her, you know, by, by shaking her like this. I don't know. <laughs> but. Oh, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about <laughs> that. It is, it is kind of a, a a callback to that. That's a really interesting especially Especially since we know the the, the real explanation of ma- what, what they were referring to when they said making love. So it makes more sense that, you know, he's he's, yeah. he's violently shaking her. <laughs> I mean, he she, she starts crying look- and thankfully she's not crying because she's being violently shaken. <laughs> it's an emotional thing. No, it's, yeah, she's emotional. Um, I always looked at this as like, if you think about want and need, the, uh, that language, and, and he doesn't really know what he wants, even though he's saying, I want to do what I want to do, right? But that this reaction, this kind of anger, this uh, this shaking thing, that's the last gasp of his want where the need takes over. The need is this need for domesticity and for romance and for love and family. And that's finally what wins out. But it's like that final sort of, frustrating no i'm not going to give in i'm not going to give in whoops <laughs> i am going to give in again it's such a great uh it's, it's an expression of the conflict the inner conflict he feels and in this moment that's the breakthrough the need overcomes the want at least temporarily and so boom there he and mary are together yeah correct great moment yeah it really is i i really like the way that the that that they end this uh, scene between them, you know that they they now they're both on the same page because he's realizing that that uh, you know he both wants and needs Mary in his life as much as yeah. he says you know yeah. as much as he said that you know that that uh, you know he doesn't want anything he doesn't want the plastics I, I love what he says he doesn't want any ground floors <laughs> you know because you know he makes it sound as if it's something physical that he doesn't want the yeah. physical ground floor as opposed to yeah, uh, but it's you know, 
because it's a metaphorical ground floor. Building a life together, starting off something. Correct. Yeah, so it's this is where need transforms as one, and so they merge together, as it says in the script, in tearful ecstasy. Okay, that can also be uh, misconstrued, <laughs> but uh, or misinterpreted, <laughs> but thankfully, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and that's how this minute ends. We're going to have to wait until Monday to find out uh, what happens after he's violently shaking her. <laughs> um, so, Scott, did you have anything else you want to say about the, this minute? Just that uh, when we talk about subtext, there's a dialogue subtext, but there's also emotional subtext. And uh, m- much of the great writing that comes to dialogue is to look for that, like what's going on underneath. Because that's where actors love to be, where they're playing the, the complex complexities of the moment. And that's where it makes us more of a participant as a viewer, where we're just not hearing the text, but we're actually interpreting what's going on emotionally and psychologically with the characters underneath their words. And this scene is just a great example of that. Yeah, it really is. All right. Thank you very much for that. So every Friday, we have a segment called Oscar Oops. So the, the whole idea here is, is that over the last 95 years of the Oscars, uh, there's always, every year there's controversy. You know, people agree, people disagree with the choices and stuff like that. And the, the idea is here, I, I wanted to see what my guests think were possibly the five biggest uh, goofs in their opinion as to what movies uh, uh, should have won as opposed to uh, that one Best picture at the Oscars. The only uh, small caveat that we have is, is that you can only choose something that was actually nominated for best picture that year. So uh, what have you got for us, Scott? Well, I can go back through time. I'd start out in 2018. I thought Roma deserved to be best picture, not Green Book. Uh, Roma was a, a fabulous film, Alfonso Cuaron, you know, c- true cinema. Um, you know, uh, Green Book was you know, okay, but Roma was great. Uh, then I go back to 2005. Uh, I would have selected Brokeback Mountain instead of Crash. I mean, Brokeback Mountain was a conversation starter. Uh, Crash was. I don't think it's 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 uh, a- aged very well. Crash. Now I know a lot of people think it's kind of hackneyed, but uh, I don't. You know, I don't take that perspective. I just think that Brokeback Mountain. With Jill, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger and Ang Lee directing, I think it was a superior film. Well, I think I think Crash. I think Crash. Because... I think Crash is just not something. It, it's it's not as memorable. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, in Brokeback Mountain is correct. It's just the, the intimate story of these two. Yeah. Yeah. 1994 is tough because I mean, Forrest Gump is a terrific film, but you've got. Shawshank Redemption, which I actually went to the premiere of that uh, because I did a movie with Castle Rock. Oh wow! And that movie, you know, is number number one movie in IMDb top two fifty mm-hmm. has been for years. But I'd have to give the nod to Pulp Fiction. I mean, Pulp Fiction was, you know, he'd done Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino, but Pulp Fiction came out was just, just a, you know, a, 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 talk about memorable. Yeah. So that was a great year when you think about it. But I, I would have picked Pulp Fiction instead of Forrest Gump, which, again, was a terrific film. But Pulp Fiction was just a stellar thing. Then and then I go back to one of my favorite, top five favorite movies in 1964 was Doc, Dr. Strangelove. It's one of my top five movies of all time. Dr. Strangelove instead of My Fair Lady. I mean, Dr. Strangelove was arguably the best 
satire or one of the best, including maybe being there and the uh, network. But Dr. Strangelove is just a, a phenomenal film. And Peter Sellers does an incredible job playing three different roles. And then the last one would be 1944. Uh, the winner was Going My Way, which is okay. But Double Indemnity uh, came out that year and was, you know, it's a classic film noir. And Billy Wilder is my favorite director. I love Frank Capra, but Billy Wilder is my favorite director. So I would have picked Double Indemnity instead of going my way in 1944. So those are five of my my choices for best pictures that I wish had won that didn't. All right. Very cool. That's great. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Scott. Um, so is there anything you want to say in general about It's a Wonderful Life? It could be about anything. It's one know. of those movies. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those movies, and we've talked about it a bit, it's one of those movies you can watch over and over and over again and still find new things. There's a moment in the movie, which I noticed the last time I saw it, where Jimmy Stewart is, or George has jumped into the river to save Clarence. And they're in the, uh, that, you know, that station, uh, the bridge. The toll bridge. The guy office, gets yeah. chased out. Mm-hmm. But they have a conversation with, with, Clarence on the left and George in the right. And in the foreground is this rope where they have clothes hanging and it's like separating the two. And it's just a great little visual thing about the separation between, you know, an angel and a human and the separation between where they're at at that point. Cause George doesn't believe this guy is an angel. And so you find these tiny little, and like you were saying, Capra is a very visual director. You find these little bits of business, these things it's just uh, it's it's one of those movies that just keeps giving to you if you if you pay attention to it. Well, it is originally called the Greatest Gift. Sir. <laughs> there you go, Greatest Gift. Yeah. <laughs> All right, great. So, Scott, would you like to, for one final time, explain to people uh, where they can find uh, Scott Myers? So, there's my blog. Go into the story. story dot com. Based off my my little kid, I was going to write a script the next day. He was about three years old. I was attending to his bath. I said, I'm writing a new story tomorrow. I'm a little concerned about you got any advice. I was just joking with him. And he looked up at me and said, go into the story and find the animals. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's what I named my blog was go into the story. Uh, But then I wrote a book called The Protagonist's Journey, an introduction to character-driven screenwriting and storytelling. Um, It's published by Palgrave McMillan. It's done quite well. It's got um, endorsements from almost 40 at this point, uh, screenwriters, novelists, and uh, academics. And so uh, I recommend people check that out if they're interested in learning a little bit of a different way of writing stories where you come at it from the perspective of the characters first. All right, great. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, com. So, Scott, thank you very much for joining me this week. I've, I've, I feel that I've learned a lot. I've been enlightened by, by the way that you look at this movie. So I, I appreciate that, and I thank you. Hopefully the listeners will get that same feeling. Well, I've enjoyed it and learned a lot, and I think what you're doing is a real service for, uh, for people who are cinephiles. You know, To be able to go through movies in depth like this, I think it's a wonderful thing you're doing. All right, great. I appreciate that. Uh, so you can you can go in and tell people that they should be listening. There you go. That there's, you should give that as a, a class assignment. <laughs> oh, tell yeah. your students to start. I, I start got a, a couple blog. Of people in mind. 
I got a, I got a couple of people in mind that I may I may very well do that that you would probably be pleased to hear. <laughs> uh they named their production company bedford falls so uh you know uh, i think uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna mention to them that they should check out this uh this podcast oh, well, well you can get them in touch with me i'll uh i'll, I'll have them on if they want I've, I've actually heard of when i've heard of bedford falls uh production company I'm trying to remember where it's marshall herskovitz and ed's wicks company they right. did 30 uh, something okay uh, my, yeah. you know my so-called life yeah yeah so they named their company bedford falls Right. Uh, actually, I, I did know that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Send them. Send them away. I, I think. I think I tried contacting Martin at some point, and he didn't. He didn't respond. But maybe after you tell him that you should speak to me, you know, maybe he will. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not just some stalker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Great. Well, great. Again, I enjoyed. Uh, good. Enjoyed the time. Thanks for. I'm All right, and I appreciate you taking the time for this. So I will be back on Monday with a new guest. But until then, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly dear. Life with its sorrow, life with its tears. 